Okay. <clears throat> well, welcome everybody to uh, call in. Uh, my name's Matt Taibbi, uh, and I am as new to this uh, to this format as everybody else this year. So please um, please uh, forgive me if I uh, have some technical issues this first time. But um, this is a new app, Colin, which um, I'm excited to start using. I have uh, several ideas about how I want to use this app in the future. Um, and I laid some of this out in an article uh, I just put up on Substack. Um, in particular, I, we're going to do, uh, at, at the start, mostly this is going to be used for having discussions about our articles um, that have already appeared on Substack on TK News. But uh, I may also use this app in the field and do things like interview people at events uh, or inter interview subject matter experts. And my thought here is, uh, is that um, that this might be a way to uh, find people and find sources for stories more easily as well and have some discussions about uh, topics at the beginning of the reporting process as well as at the end of it. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, uh, we're here today to talk about um, this article that I wrote and published over the weekend called America As America Falls Apart, Profits Soar. Uh, the article, if um, I'm assuming everybody here who's here to talk about it has already read it, uh, it goes through some of the the over-the-top coverage of um, of this trial, the hyping of it. There's been uh, a, a ton of uh, kind of uh, uh, very, very excessive coverage. Uh, everybody's leaning into the idea that there's going to be mayhem or potentially unrest after it uh, after it ends. Um, there's been a lot of uh, preemptive uh, um, descriptions of uh, Rittenhouse as guilty or as a murderer or as somebody, um, uh, you know, who, whether or not He's technically guilty, which is an interesting term that um, that uh, we're hearing now from people on the left. It used to be something you would hear from the right, uh, but he's certainly like a bad person because he shouldn't have been there with a gun. Um, but there's been a lot of playing up of this story uh, on both sides of the aisle, but I would say more in the kind of center left mainstream media side. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to talk about this story a little bit more because I, I kind of missed um a point i was trying to make I, I i wanted to make it a little bit more strongly in this article and i really didn't I, essentially what i was hoping to talk about with this um was this idea that we're we're getting uh, a lot in the trump years and beyond of these the controversies where you see um sort of mainstream corporate media leaning heavily into uh, these racial controversies, whereas in the past you might have seen an effort to kind of diffuse situations. Uh, now what we're seeing is propaganda that seems explicitly designed to exacerbate tensions uh, and to make um, make things out to be worse than they actually are. Uh, so even in this in the time since, say, Eric Garner was killed, the the, the reaction in the media is, has been drastically different. Uh, just in the last seven years between that and the George Floyd incident. And I think ultimately what this is about, and I was trying to get to this, but didn't didn't really say it 
quite clearly enough is that um you know i, I think there are things people would rather talk about race and rather rather highlight this idea that there's this massive racial divide in the country than talk about even more explosive uh issues involving class and wealth inequality those are issues that are more uncomfortable for um let's just say sort of the one percent uh in this country and i think there's been an intentional effort to lean into these controversies uh more than maybe some others so uh, anyway, I've been rambling already too long in this side. I want to see how this works. Let's let's um, let's start the discussion, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll we'll go from there. So I'm gonna press take next caller and see see how this works. Hello. So Andrew, yes, Andrew, you're up. Uh, hey, Matt. This is pretty cool. How's it going? Yeah, it is cool. Good. Actually. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I actually want to hear more about, about the Rittenhouse case, and I guess I'll just say that I actually pretty easily fell victim to the propaganda about his case being somebody who's been at, um, a lot of protests over the last few years and encountered some similar people. I kind of made easy assumptions about him. Um, but, but actually the, the thing that I'm most curious about is, um, one of the people I believe that he shot, uh, appeared to be somebody who was almost immediately prior discharged from a mental health facility and, um, you know, not to make any comments generally about people with mental health, but I've been at a number of protests since 2019 and at many of them, I have actually seen this same scenario take place. So, for instance, so I live in Washington State. I, I live in Seattle. And I was at a protest in the Capitol here in Olympia in 2019 where we were uh, protesting about climate. It was largely kind of a conglomerate of different uh, people from different indigenous tribes in Washington trying to twist the arm of the state to actually uphold their treaties. And uh, as you know, within a couple hours of the Capitol police showing up and kind of creating a perimeter, uh, this guy who was clearly experiencing some mental health issues showed up and was kind of like trying to steal things from, you know, like backpacks or go into the area where the protesters were and was kind of rambling and, and get, and getting cagey with people. And then, uh, I won't elaborate way more on that, but I've just seen it over and over again at protests in Seattle around the sort of George Floyd uprising time period in 2020. Um, I wonder if you can comment any more on that. I believe I, I heard Max Blumenthal kind of talk a little bit about this a day or two ago. This is something I'm curious about. And I, I know maybe it's not super germane to the main point about um, the media spin on the Rittenhouse case. I do think that's very important and probably the, the central point, but this is something that's been kind of on my mind. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think uh, frequently the, the press will leave out um, you know, those details. There are a lot of cases, I'm trying to think of one now, maybe even the, the, the Covington High School one is another one where you have something that looks like something on the surface, but when you actually drill down into what happened, um, 
it could be random. It could be somebody uh, who has serious mental health issues. A lot of the police brutality cases um, involve people who have uh, serious mental health issues. And, and um, you know, in, in this case, uh, I think there was heavy emphasis uh, in the coverage on Rittenhouse and kind of an intentional effort to not get into the the background of people like uh, I think you're talking about Joseph Rosenbaum is the person you're talking about um, who had uh, who had spent most of his life uh, well his adult life in prison for some pretty serious um, issues uh, and um, you know he's bipolar and you know I think the, the, the the press in general does, does a bad job of writing about mental health issues. Uh, you know, even a couple of, about 10 years ago or so, um, when uh, when all, some of these municipalities started really, really heavily cutting mental health services and, they, and we started to see um, this idea of, of uh, you know, the jails becoming de facto mental health facilities like in the in Chicago, for instance, that was a serious problem that the, you know, that the correctional officials there were even complaining about. Um, but yeah, no, they, there was a de-emphasis on that and, uh, and more, more of an emphasis on who Rittenhouse was and what kind of beliefs he might have had. But um, I don't know, is it, did I, did I, is that answer your question or was there another angle that you're looking at? I guess the the angle that I was thinking about is that um, I I'm wondering is there already documentation in other cases because I I've seen this happen where I I'm fairly sure and it's chaotic scenes anytime I'm in close proximity with a protest and police and everything but it it I I can't help but wonder if they are kind of like okay um, let's let Rosenbaum uh enter the scene on it i mean i know that just kind of sounds almost inane or 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 a little too um planned maybe but i i I feel like that is the only explanation for some of the scenes like the one that i kind of described at the capitol a couple years ago because the guy was straight up saying like oh yeah i'm an fbi agent but he i don't think he was i think he was probably kind of riffing off of a conversation that he had with law enforcement before he was sort of beelined towards our protest. Um, but then seeing the, the, the sort of Rosenbaum scenario here also, and the, the fact that he was like very briefly before that discharged from the, um, the mental health ward um, and has a criminal record. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't really speak to that. I mean, I'd, I'd have to go back and look to see if there are more instances of that. I know, I know there are a lot of, there are a lot of crime stories that turned out to be, um, more about mental health than about what they've been presented. Like, you know, there, I, I think I'm thinking of like the subway pusher case, but in terms of protests, um, I'd have to go back and look, but uh, sorry, I don't, I don't have a better answer on that one. No, that's all okay. Right. Uh, let's we'll all hop all right, Thanks a lot. Um, who's next? Okay. All right. I think Ahmed's up. Ahmed, if you're there, you can uh, unmute yourself. No? Okay. Uh, Nick, then? 
Hello. Yes. Hello. Matt, first time, yeah, long hello, time. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> uh, so uh, good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about, because the whole uh, Rittenhouse to me feels like it's the latest in this. I feel like you could lump the Trump Russia thing and almost like the the Chappelle culture warrant is the same thing, which is that like anything that kind of I don't know, breaks with reality or common consensus understanding of the world, like being past certain things or things being settled, like a completely crazy narrative is built about them. So basically people don't have to confront any reality on the thing or the circumstances surrounding it, or like an actual legal or logical precedent to take out something like Trump on emoluments. But of course people don't because, you know, anyone that's going to go after him for financial conflicts of interest, like that's pretty much anybody in the democratic party at this point is guilty of the same thing. So they've got to invent something about it with Chappelle. It's inventing kind of a controversy and of course being led by people that like never actually engaged with the material or confronted it. Uh, and then the Rittenhouse thing being that, you know, this guy is all the way bad, completely uh, devoid of any empathetic assessment of it based on, you know, trial or videos on the whole thing, if only because to really engage with it, it also has to acknowledge kind of a lot of irresponsible irresponsibility or will uh, weirdness on the opposing side. So I guess my question is, um, all of these narratives are kind of tailored to make somebody all the way bad and like all nuance and objectivity is out of it, but also no one kind of levying it wants to offer any sort of like sacrifice or like a change to their own behavior or addressing their own kind of hypocrisy or conflicts. So I, I guess like right now, I feel like the way that all of these discourse and culture war things play out, nothing actually changes. Like they're, these are always just perpetually unsettled right. and ongoing. And I, for me, like, I, I don't know if that means necessarily that like this discourse is worth discarding entirely because nothing ever actually comes out of it. It's just like endless and it keeps going. Or I, I mean, cause there's not really like an era that you can point to that was necessarily like a better one. Maybe there was with, you know, fairness doctrine and whatnot, but I guess I'm just saying, do you think like the, uh, the appropriate cultural response is to go back to like a former level of nuance and objectivity, or do you see this as kind of a, a necessary continuum on the yeah. way to start changing things? Because at least when all these things are front and center, people like you problematize and unpack them and understand kind of a greater thing at work in the larger, uh, you know, class dynamic, whatever you want to call it. And then the last thing that I just want to mention before you answer that question, I'm so sorry, I'm going to shamelessly sure. buzz market a podcast that I'm a quote unquote executive producer for, which is Congressional Dish with Jennifer Briney. If you're not listening to it yet, it should be part of your uh, rotation. It's a really great podcast. Okay. She would be an amazing guest on any of your shows. I would reach out to her the second you end this because she's great. All right, Congressional Dish, I'll keep that in mind. Thanks. Uh, th well, th thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, well, first of all, I think I think basically what you're – one of the things that you're talking about is this tendency to uh, caricature the characters in news stories like from the very beginning. And this is something that is very, very frustrating, um, I think, for a lot of more journalists of the old school – because there was always an understanding that on, on the first day of a story, uh, you don't really know a whole lot. Like, uh, it's, it's very, very difficult to get a, a handle on what exactly happened. Um, 
in, in really any heartbreaking story. Uh, yeah, obviously, like you can you can see the superficial characteristics of um, a story that may seem similar on its face, like the Bernard gets shooting, right? Like white guy in the subway shoots four black guys. That's going to be a story no matter what. Um, but what happens, I think, in modern media is they just never, they never re-examine the caricature. Like as time goes on, um, they don't dig into the details of what happened. And there, there isn't really an effort in any of the back and forth because we have these endless discussion shows uh but they don't actually do a good job of um getting to the idiosync idiosyncrasies of any of these stories which is sort of the supposed to be the point of of all that examination because what we're trying to do is is uh, now in, in modern media they, they want to lean into those caricatures um because they know let's just say if you're MSNBC, um, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, people are going to tune into news about him. They don't want to hear that, well, maybe he's not our kind of a person, but in this case, he may not be legally guilty, right? Like, that's not a, that's not a story that's going to fire anybody up. It's not going to make anybody um, um, excited, at least not that audience. So they, they want to hear everything else. They want to, they want to connect him to all these other phenomena that they uh, they don't like. So that's why we see Rittenhouse constantly um, sort of mentioned in conjunction with the Proud Boys or January 6th or anti-mask protests or whatever it is, because they need to make him into a symbol of something in order to sell the story. Um, but, and, and this is a frustration that I, I just have generally with uh, the press is that, you know, as time goes on, um, the, the, all that angst that we're building up in our audience just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as opposed to what should happen over time is that we should get um, we, we, sh we should get closer and closer to a truth that, that we're all able to digest and uh, that, that's exactly what doesn't happen now. Now with time things, the tension gets higher as opposed to getting lower and of course, obviously that that did happen in the past with stories like OJ, but, but, but I felt like at least audiences were more educated about what happened, uh, about the facts, um, with those stories and it's just different now. So, um, uh, but anyway, thanks. Th thanks for the, um, th thanks for the question on that. Of course. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Uh, okay. So who's, who's, uh, who's next here? Let's see. Uh, all right, next caller. I think it's Eugene. This is wild. Thanks for everybody for hanging in with me because I don't really know exactly what I'm doing yet. So Eugene, if you're up, I think you have to unmute yourself. No? Uh, okay. I'm going to take the next caller then. Hang on, sorry. Colin? Colin, you have to unmute yourself, I believe. 
Okay. There we go. Uh, I'll be Hi, Colin. How's it going? I'll be brief because I'm in a car wash, so you probably won't be able to hear me long. Um, <laughs> That's a great place to be. <laughs> how, how much do you think our current media landscape has to do with the, um, the expediency that the Internet's kind of necessitated? Like, uh, for example, do you think the media has to get a takeout quickly in order to be or in order to compete with a lot of online publications or some of these have kind of become online publications and then they just end up doubling down on on what is essentially a hot take um, to avoid their original take being wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. Clearly, the look, we, everybody knows how the algorithm works. Uh, so the stronger the take, the more likely uh, it is that your content is going to be pushed to not only your own audience, but to a new audience. In fact, if you, if you want to expand your audience, you, uh, you know, with the way most of the algorithms work, um, you have to go for ever increasing um, sort of intensity with your opinions. So, if you if you have a moderated opinion of of what happened at the Rittenhouse trial, like oh it's a mix of this and that, and um, you know this side might be right about one, a few things, but people on the other side are right about something else. Um, there are going to be fewer push notifications. Like your your content isn't going to be sent to that next level of person, um, and so yeah, you, you do eventually end up sort of doubling down on, on hot takes. Uh, this is also part of just conventional wisdom in media being incorrect, though. I think that there's there are a lot of editors uh, and news directors who who are convinced that people don't want to read um, uh, content that's subtle or that um, that examines things from all sides. The it kind of reminds me of when I was just coming into the magazine business in the United States. There was this belief that. Um, Audiences were getting dumber and dumber all the time, and that they would um, that they had to be given ever shorter uh, pieces of content. So there would, the, if you remember Maxine magazine, the, the theory was everything had to be in a little box that was like 350 words long. Um, and so they, they were there was always this pressure to try to create a short, digestible hot take for audiences. But it turns out actually audiences are, um, are variable, and there's a, there are large segments of them that really appreciate something that's in depth and treats them like adults and assumes that they're able to think for themselves uh, and take in lots of different kinds of contradictory information. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of this has to do with the mechanisms of Facebook and Twitter and especially Facebook. Um, and that, that a lot of the people who are in these organizations are really desperate to get clicks. And so they, they decide to create content that's just big doses of hot takes. And you're, yes, yeah, so you're exactly right. It's this, this endless cascade of doubling down. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks a lot, Colin. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, we have, this is kind of cool. I like this. Um, let's go for uh, Kylo, I think, is the, is the next guy up. He might. All right. DN, I think, is up. 
Hello. All right, he seems to be there, but I'm going to go for Jordan instead. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jordan. How's it hey, going? Good. Um, I'm up here in Canada, and um, I saw the the sort of story of them using domestic aerial surveillance video um, in the trial, and I was kind of surprised, you know, that they're doing that i mean is is this like is that a common tool was was like i didn't see any stories kind of saying hey like you know should they be doing this at different protests and whatnot just curious about your thoughts yeah that's a really interesting uh i haven't seen a lot of follow-up stories on that and i thought that was a really interesting development i know absolutely nothing about that but um yeah because we, the united states is different from a lot of other countries we don't have that kind of um, CCTV arrangement that, for instance, they have in Great Britain. Do, do you have that up in Canada? Um, no, definitely. We're, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we don't have that yet. Uh, and this idea that we have drone surveillance, um, you know, o over um, an incident like this, is that something that they do all the time? Is that something that they only do for certain events? Like, what's the legality of it? I, I haven't seen any stories about that. Um, and that's a really good question to ask. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's something that they just do and um, <laughs> without without uh, um, going through a legal process. Uh, I mean, there, there have been a lot of sort of enhanced police activities that the police departments all over the country have done um, sort of on their own, like things like, you know, using technology to read license plates from afar and run them through computers. And um, But this is new. Yeah. Like, like drone, if, if there was actual drone surveillance all the time, that would be a big story. And it's interesting that, that, um, that no one's uh, taken that up as a bigger issue in this case. So I think thanks, thanks for pointing that out. So is this the same Ahmed that we, we lived here before? Uh, yeah. Uh, can you hear me this time? I can, yes. Okay. Um, my question was um, sort of uh, where you uh, left off with your intro about how it's easier to talk about um, race than some other things um, now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and... Um, why do you think that is, and, and what are the, the kind of the other topics that are um, s sort of verboten um, or, uh, or that, you know, media is not willing to talk about? Um, you know, maybe, maybe class might be one, but, um, uh, yeah, I guess the question is, why do you think that might be? Is it because um, with... Um, with race, there's sort of a consensus already. Well, yeah, nobody wants to be a racist, so it's easy to um, um, to say that, and it doesn't really require doing anything besides sort of pointing the finger at someone. I don't know. That's that's one one idea. Um, yeah. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that, and what topics are the ones that are more 
uh, third rails or ones that uh, mainstream media doesn't want to talk about? Well, yeah, well, first of all, that's a great question. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, race is totally third rail. I mean, I, I mean, that's part of what makes the last five or six years so crazy is that this is such a dangerous topic to play around with. Um, you know, you, you can create a really bad situation really quickly by misreporting uh, uh, the race topic. Um, by getting people worked up about it, uh, because it's always you know in America we obviously have always had a serious problem with this. I, I think what I was trying to say though is that for some people, for certain people, they would rather have um, you know working to middle class Americans screaming at each other over something like race than they would um, than than they would like to see. Uh, you know, 80% of the country um, suddenly discussing all together why it is that their net um, net wealth has decreased uh, while the net wealth of the top 20% or top 10% of the country has gone up dramatically and particularly during periods of crisis. And this is this recent situation uh, during the pandemic um, this is the second time in a row, uh, with 2008 being the last time, that we've had uh, kind of a catastrophic economic situation, followed by um, an aggressive uh, sort of Federal Reserve slash central bank fueled bailout policy that immediately resulted in a massive wealth transfer from um, from, from ordinary people. Uh, to uh, you know, to to the the very richest people in the country. So billionaire wealth has increased enormously. Average CEO pay went from seventeen million dollars to twenty four million dollars last year. Um, you can go up and down the line. Every single uh, major sector of our economy saw record profits uh, last year. I shouldn't say every, but but they're. You know, banking, underwriting, health carriers, um, pharmaceutical companies, uh, defense contractors, they all had, you know, unbelievable years last year at a time when, you know, lots of people in this country are, are having a, a really, really difficult time of it. Now, would you rather have, if you're, if you're a billionaire or if you're somebody who has a $50 million hedge fund and you own a media company or you're or you have any trust in a media company, what would you rather have people talking about on those channels? Would you rather have them talking about how corporate profits went up 71% since March, 2020, or would you rather have them sort of tearing each other's faces off over um, some hot button race issue? Uh, and it's just been a very conspicuous feature of the media landscape since Trump arrived. And I don't think that's an accident. I think Trump, you know, the, the one thing you could say about his campaign is that it, it was the first time that a lot of frustrations about the system um, burst into the news in a kind of an unapproved way. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you started, you, you saw this sort of massive discontent. Um, you know, some of, a lot of it was inarticulate, but um, 
but they, they would much rather uh, spend all day talking about, you know, the, the Trump movement is is racist, and you know, obviously, race is a big factor in, in, in that movement. But but they would rather talk about that than talk about all the other things that that uh, led to the Trump movement, which you know, uh, some of us saw coming long before Trump. So that's all I'm trying to say is is that I think for the very wealthy in this country, they would rather have ordinary Americans um, battling each other than than talking about uh, this sort of growing disparity issue. If that makes sense. Uh, anyway, th th thanks, Ahmed. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to move now to Anya. I hope. Maybe not Anya, maybe Lee. Okay, no, not Lee either. Jamie, if you're there, you gotta unmute yourself. No, Steven. Hi Matt. Hi Matt. Kyle. Hey, how's it uh, going? Well, um, two-part question. I'll, I'll keep it concise as I can. Um, in your opinion, how sustainable are these cultural narratives in terms of mass civil unrest, uh, mass civil unrest on the scale of civil war uh, actually coming into being? And do you think this is a wise calculation uh, the elite is making by focusing on cultural overclass issues? Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I don't think it's wise. I think if they were smart, they would, they would do something to mollify the, the situation. You know, you, we're seeing all these news stories right now talking about inflation. And then you, if you look farther down the, in the article, you'll often see something like, um, wages haven't risen with inflation and experts are concerned about that. Um, but we don't. What we don't see is companies sort of is mass volunteering to, uh, you know, to make to offer more benefits or to raise wages. I mean, they have started to do that very recently. But you know, since since Donald Trump got elected, I, I, I thought the first thing that would happen after he got elected was that both parties um, would sit down and have kind of a long social soul searching moment and say, well. How could we have screwed up so much that it led to this? Uh, I hope that too. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. And they and they exactly didn't didn't do that. What, what they did was exactly the opposite. They decided to focus on um, sort of very sensational controversies that I think were designed to keep people's minds off what had led to 2016. So it started with RussiaGate, but there were you know there's an endless cavalcade of these. Uh, moral panics that we've seen since then, whether we're talking about the, um, you know, the caravan story, the kids in cages story, the um, the Brett Kavanaugh nomination, uh, Bounty Gate, and, you know, then the insurrection, then you know, the, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now this thing, uh, they want people worked up in these panics because they they don't have a plan for uh for 
making people's sort of ordinary ordinary people's lives um, easier and, mo- and mollifying all that discontent out there. So I think this is what we're going to get instead of that. Um, in the meantime, I see. Uh, would yeah. Would you like to care to speculate on the probability of uh, mass civil unrest, like like a civil war coming into being? I know that's rather large. <laughs> no, I mean it's a good question. I got I got a little bit of heat because I I use language like on the brink of civil war in that in that last article, and maybe that was irresponsible. I don't know, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I. I have friends who were reporters in Yugoslavia um, in the early 90s. Uh, you know, if you talk to people like Chris Hedges, um, it, th- things can go... Uh, I think what people don't realize living in America in a country that hasn't had that kind of a problem is how quickly the kind of mask of sanity can slip in a society. Mm. Um, Things, things can go from seeming pretty stable to being really unstable really quickly. Uh, and we have a country that's heavily armed. Uh, there's a ton of anger out there. And then there's, if you start, if you add economic pressure uh, that's ratcheting up uh, on people, that's when you start to get really, really bad things happening now. And I, and I, I think you, you take that plus the, this the absolute widening and, and heightening of the polarization problem, and you got the potential for, for something bad to happen in any moment. I, I, I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. I, in fact, one of the first things that I thought when I came back from living in Russia is people in America are, um, you know, they just don't appreciate how far away from uh, real trouble we are in this country. You know, having, having lived through um, a decade of what was going on in Russia, uh, but now I don't think that anymore. Now, I, now I think this this country's got some serious issues, and, and there's there's no middle ground. There's very little institutional interest in um, in fixing the situation, uh, and so uh, yeah, I, I worry about that a lot. I, I wouldn't put a percentage chance on it, but I wouldn't. Uh, what I would say is that I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if there was there was some serious problem. In the next decade or so. Thank, thank you, thank uh, you for sharing your thoughts. I don't want to hog up the lines. I really appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. All right, thanks. Uh, all right, let's go to Jerry. I think is next. This is kind of fun. We got, got to figure out a way to. Uh, let's see. Okay, I, th- I think I've unmuted. Yeah, now I can hear you. Jerry. First time I've used this, and uh, so it's fascinating. No, me too. Me too. So, so let's be patient with each other. Yeah, nice, nice to be able to talk to you. I am, I'm a very big fan of your intellect and your writing. Um, oh, well, thank I, you. I think I fall far to the right of your basic beliefs, but I fall right in line with the way you can think things through and how you can see behind things. Um. Excellent. So when I was a kid, it always was fascinating to me how much a movie could get my me emotionally involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it tended to be especially when there was a a pretty girl and it was a love movie. <laughs> so what the hell? What's going <laughs> on? Now I feel like 
what purports to be news has adopted the fictionalization that movies have used mm-hmm. forever in plays. And, you know, when we have, and, that, and, and frankly, that is a health risk uh, to the mental health of this country and our ability to think straight. Um, and people are deluded by that. Yeah. Um, I, I happened to pick up a pack of cigarettes that I saved from Australia where they actually don't just put a warning on it. They actually put pictures of cancer-ridden people on it. And um, it occurred to me, why shouldn't we as a health protective have a scroll along the bottom of all news uh, shows and whatnot that say, keep in mind that the purpose of this organization is to make money, not to give you any particular (laughs) truth or news. And um, uh, even that that is purported to be news is likely to be opinion and um, instigating of your uh, 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 or uh, damaging to your mental health. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I mean, I I, I really Uh, think we should pursue some sort of warning like that, because it's it's clear where, where the news organizations were once kind of considered to be an upstanding nonprofit making element of having a institutional organization tv network or whatever it's not that there's no interest whatsoever in truth whatsoever it's it's and it makes sense right i mean crappy food is sold because people will buy it it addicts you to the food they can't help it they have to make money or they're dead right we we should have a warning on it but yeah so I, i love this question on like eight different levels um uh, for first of all, totally agree with you about movies. I, I, I will uh, I'll confess, I, I actually cried when I w- went to the movie Shadowlands, which is about, it's like a biopic about C.S. Lewis, I think. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, no, the, I made this point. The point that you're making is one that I made in hating the book I wrote um, about the media, which is that we... In America, we have a lot of consumer awareness about all types of products uh, to the point where people are very interested in how much, um, you know, how much the exhaust from their car uh, contributes to global warming, how many, uh, what level of saturated fat they're eating in their burger, you know, obviously talking about cigarettes, but there's no consumer awareness at all about the news, and there should be. And one of the points that I was trying to make was that just to drive home that people should be aware that the news is a consumer product. Like that, that, that is something that they need to know. And it, and it would be great. I mean, I, I'm not in favor. I don't love certain general type warnings generally, um, but I just think that there needs to be more consumer awareness about, about the news and about the media. And, um, and people need to realize that there are manipulative strategies that are being employed uh, that are designed now, like the, the object now with news is to drive engagement and particularly emotional engagement. Um, there's yep. a thing called perspective targeting, uh, which is um, it, it's it's designed to basically to help advertisers match uh, sort of people with the right articles by measuring levels of engagement. Um, 
that the articles generate. So a lot of what the people in the news business are trying to do now, rather than make you think, they're trying to make you feel. They're, they want you to respond the way sports fans. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when, when you watch a story like the Rittenhouse story, they want you they want you to be outraged about, you know, that this kind of person, like what kind of person carries a gun to, uh, you know, an AR-15 into a, a you know, a, an urban area. Why is, why is it so easy to get a gun? Why should a 17 year old have a gun? Like they, they want you to be upset about the whole thing. And then, they, and then secondarily, they want you to be uh, mad about all the other things that they bring up. Like, Oh, there's inconsistencies like the, um, in, in the, and the um, you know the the, the right wing caricature of the person who's only acting in self defense it's getting too much play uh, so that makes me mad too so they they want you they want they want you sort of emotionally addicted to that experience and that's why you you see news stories tend to be this sort of parade of one um, one story that produces the same kind of emotion after the other. Um, as opposed to, you know, again, when I was when I was younger, the, the news was it would go from placid to interesting to the weather. You know, it was it was designed to evoke a much more uh, a much less emotionally wrought um, type of uh, uh, audience. And so the, right when when we were young, the big engagement thing was blood and gore. Now it's right. outrage. Yeah, now it's outrage, and even with the blood and gore. Yeah, I guess they did do that with with the news too, uh, and there was also scaring people. Yeah, but the, the blood and gore wasn't pushing you into uh, developing a worldview or a um, you know, or kind of a of religiosity of thought in one way or another. No, not not, not so much. I mean, they they did. T- there was this whole dirty laundry bring around the collar type idea of you should be afraid of going outside because the, here are 50 different things that are going to kill you, including criminals. Right. So they always played up stories like that. Um, they always wanted to heighten the things that are, that, that made you afraid uh, that tends to make a better consumer for some reason. Like that, that's what the commercials are more effective if people are freaked out. Uh, so they, they did do a lot of that, but it's not the same as what they're doing now. Now they're creating like a, a an addicted neurotic audience. And that, that is deeply unhealthy. So, um, anyway, uh, the, the, right. thanks, thanks for your so thoughts. On All right. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, a couple, couple more. Um, uh, this, this is cool. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with this. Uh, let's see. Who's next. Hiram. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. Uh, had a, a question and a comment on maybe some of the sort of some of the shifting narrative about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Brendan O'Neill is a conservative writer with Spiked uh, based in the UK. He just wrote an article about how, um, you know, even a lot of people on sort of the left side of the media are starting to uh, maybe question some of the details in this case. He shares some tweets where people you know, sort of say, oh, my God, we didn't realize his victims were white. We didn't realize that he actually had a reason to be in Kenosha. He didn't just drive up there to kill anybody. Um, 
And, right, yeah, there was the Bill Ackman thing that was funny. But, yeah, uh, he he shared he even shares an article uh, by Mark Brown in the um, Chicago Sun Times, which is basically saying like, oh, you know, we don't like Kyle Rittenhouse, but he probably should be found. Um, you know, not guilty because, you know, of, of the situation. And um, I sort of wanted to get your your hate ink perspective, because it you know, this isn't the first time that some people have sort of raised their hands in the media and said, wait a minute, is this really what happened? Um, but it does seem like a lot of the the outrage from the previous year, you know, it, it, it seems like for, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and maybe some people in the media might be sort of questioning their own perspectives from a year ago. And I, I guess I kind of wanted to ask, you know, if let's say hypothetically, there mm -hmm. are more and more sort of elite dissidents in the, in the media sphere, do you think the media is going to, you know, just kick them all out, confine them to the Substack realm, or are they going to have to sort of start shifting their narrative a little bit? Because, you, as you know, this isn't just a matter of perspective. It's a matter of profit margin as well, what's going to get the most viewers. And before you answer that, I, I wanted to comment and say that I think maybe this might already be happening on the right. Maybe not overall totally, but, like, I'm sort of on, on the left spectrum of things. And I can, you know, I can tune into Tucker Carlson. And I can probably agree with maybe, like, 40 to 50% of the things he's saying, which is enough to keep me watching. And rather than alienating his viewers, Tucker is like bigger than ever now. He's getting invites from Viktor Orban to come to Hungary and stuff like that. There seems right. to be at least a little bit of an appetite for, you know, not necessarily non-biased perspectives, but at least perspectives that are a little bit more open from the right and left worldview. So I, I kind of wanted to hear what you might think what you what you what what do you think might happen next if we keep having sort of these foundations crumbling under these yeah that's that's a great question i think um yeah i think you're right i think that's that is already happening um we we have seen uh lately uh this this phenomenon of people starting to question um, some of the narratives that they, they themselves are putting out, you know, even a year ago. Uh, so the, for instance, like just amazingly over the weekend, Adam Schiff uh, was being interviewed by Chuck Todd and Chuck Todd went after him for, um, you know, for saying things about the Steele dossier that Chuck Todd himself was saying for years, uh, which is unusual. Right. There's a little bit of soul searching that's going on within the business, but the, the problem is that the the um, the met, met method within this business has always been that uh, the people who are counter narrative they get squeezed out pretty quickly, um, and, right. and there's it's not an accident that all these people suddenly started appearing on Substack. It's not like we we all made a conscious career choice to come over here. I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who came who, who came to Substack because. Uh, it just got too uncomfortable to be where they were. Whether they were actually forced out or not is, is another question, but that definitely still exists. I, I, but you're you're right, though. I mean, the, there's you know, how do you respond to, to plummeting ratings? How do you how do you respond to um, you know to 
loss of clicks. Like there are some news organizations that just really aren't doing well. However, some of them are. Like the New York Times made a, a conscious decision in 2016 to change their strategy from being, um, you know, one that, that was really based on uh, uh, you know, newsstand sales and advertising to one that was based on subscriptions. And that strategy favors, you know, what, what we've been talking about for the last hour or so, which is this uh, technique of feeding people what they want to hear, caricaturizing stories, um, you know, creating emotional addictions. That's how you get subscribers. Like you, that, you, you build a subscriber base by doing that. And they've, they've gone from like a million subscribers to over 7 million. They have the largest subscriber base in the world, and they're making a lot of money doing that. Uh, so some people are doing all right, but other people, I think, are looking at um, the phenomena like, like the Joe Rogan experience, and they're saying, wow, there's so much money to be made just by entertaining different points of view. Uh, why aren't we doing that? And uh, there isn't really room yet to do that in kind of center-left media. There, There is a sliver of room, as you point out, to do it in, in right-wing media. I think that's been an interesting phenomenon. It seemed to me to start with the Russiagate story. Um, but yeah, there's, there's more room to do that uh, in that on conservative media now than there, there ever has been in my experience. So so that's interesting, definitely. Um, have to keep an eye on it. I, I, think, I think these companies, the big, the big media companies like NBC, MSNBC, CNN, um, ultimately they, they're like super tankers. They just, they, they don't, they tend not to be able to reform themselves all that well uh, or to make big sweeping decisions about uh, in response to mistakes they've made. Um, it, it takes a while. It takes a crisis for them to get there, but they're nearly there. So we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah. Anyway, cool. Uh, thanks. Hunter. I appreciate it. I'm going to take one more if that's okay. Uh, and we'll go from there. That's it. Nope, James is gone. Hey, Matt, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey. Is this uh, another Kyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for doing this uh, really cool format. Um, so I just want to ask, we, we're in this you know, time where we're seeing a lot of these trial situations where, as you wrote, uh, I think in your piece, like unrest of some kind seems almost guaranteed no matter the result, which I thought was a great line. And I was wondering, do you perceive this as a more recent trend, more prominently in, let's say, the last few years, as it seems to be portrayed? Um, because I think you could go back at least to, like, OJ and Rodney King and find kind of similar situations, you know, back to the 90s. And if you do see a distinction there... Um, how is are these you know situations of today and the coverage of today different from um let's say that that time in the 90s and then maybe to end on a lighter note um as a fellow former mass hole wanted your thoughts on this uh, surging new england patriots team <laughs> that we have oh awesome love it okay i'm gonna leave that one for last uh thanks Kyle. where are you from in mass by the way uh hopkinton how's that hopkinton Excellent, excellent. Route nine, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Four nine. All right. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the difference between uh, Rodney King and OJ and I'm trying to think of, you know, what, what are some of the other big trials uh, that we had back then? McMartin trial was another one, although that wasn't, that, that didn't have nearly the national oath. But the difference was you didn't see like op-ed writers back then kind of egging people on to uh, rage. Like the, there was a distinct tone in the op-ed pages of, we really, really don't want the city to explode after this happens. Um, you know, the, you, you just you just don't see that kind of overt um, tweaking of audiences that that we see now. Like now, the 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 strategy in a lot of this coverage is to is to use the most. Um, uh, sort of provocative, uh, uh, you know, instigating uh, type language that you can think of. And, and, you can, and you can tell who's winning the trial, by the way, by which side um, spends more time covering things like the announcement that there's going to be the National Guard uh, uh, you know, deployed in advance of the verdict. So you, you, you saw that in um, you know, in, in Fox, I think there was uh, there, there were several conservative outlets that played up that. The New York Post did a story on that um, because the subtext of that is they think that uh, all of the left leaning protesters are going to go bananas when it when um, when Rittenhouse, if and when Rittenhouse is found not guilty, uh, and and they they want they they want to create. Um, a little bit of discontent on the, uh, among their own audience about about the irresponsibility of that response um, in advance, you know. So they're they're it's like they're they're seeding uh, everybody's um, reactions to to these kinds of things ahead of time. We just don't see that kind of like why don't we, why can't we all get along kind of editorial that that much, um, even though those were cliche filled and sometimes really silly. The, the tone of coverage um, wasn't so overtly designed to like make people pissed off. Uh, so yeah, that's what I would say the difference is. Um, yeah, and, and another thing we've seen in the last couple of years is that we'll take situations maybe they are trials exactly, but they're they're essentially non-stories and we'll turn them into stories like you know that Covington High School. Uh, story that happened in, in Washington. Um, there, there are probably a hundred things that were much more serious than that uh, that they could have made, but they had a good piece of video that they, they thought they had a good piece of video. Uh, and it was sort of circulated um, and they built this scenario that this, you know, that there was this racial element to the story that really wasn't there. I mean, it's not that hard to find those kinds of stories in America, but they just took one that just didn't happen to have it. Um, so that that's another thing I think that, that's new is this idea of we're, we're going to go looking to pick a, to get audiences to pick fights with each other. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember us doing that before, but maybe we did. Maybe I'm just misremembering it, but I, I, don't, I don't seem to remember that. About the Patriots, uh, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying not to, to do the Bill Simmons reverse jinx here. I, I, I'm trying not to believe it too much, but, um, but they look pretty good. It just reminds me a lot of, of 2001. Um, does it for you too? Yeah, yeah, uh, it definitely does. I think I'm starting to to buy in probably too much, but and I'm definitely afraid of the national like uh, sports media going a little too overboard. Um, but anyways, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for your time. And right. it's uh, yeah, thanks. No problem. Uh, all right, thanks, Kyle. Carlo, I guess. Um, okay, well, thanks everybody. This has been interesting. I've uh, for the first time, I think it went, went pretty well. And um, thanks for, uh, for tuning in. And uh, the cool thing about this um, about this call-in is that it creates the transcripts and it's archivable. So if you miss something, um, these episodes are going to eventually be published and you can go back and look through them uh, and play clips from them, um, share, share pieces of it. Uh, I don't know if I said anything that was so uh, bursting with wisdom that it would need to be shared, but if, if there were such a thing, or if you, or if one of the callers said something that's really interesting, um, you could take pieces of that out and, and, and share those too. So, um, so w- thanks for coming and, um, I'll see you again soon.